So this point, I'm talking about the fourth um, uh, portion of the Dada Jing, the way in its power, and I'm, I'm maybe giving us half dozen talks, I don't know. And I've talked about three already. And here's, here's what I'm going to be talking about. The 10,000 things arise together in their arising is their declining. They flower and return to their root. Returning to the root is serenity, not stumbling in confusion and sorrow. When you realize who you are, you accept what is. Patient, amused, and embracing, dignified as a king, following the Tao, you accept whatever life brings, and when death comes, you are ready. So last time, my last talk, I talked a little bit about the, the first stanza. The 10,000 things arise together. In their arising, it's their decline. They fall return to their root. So this is the natural rhythm, natural rhythm of life. Starting to get dark, starts to get dark. We, we naturally turn more, more inward. And I think it's not coincidental that we have our long retreats and our fall practice period. Of course, we have a spring practice period too. But our long retreats uh, book, book, bookend uh, our practice period. Um, seven days in December, five days just in a couple of weeks. Returning to the stillness that we find in darkness. And then, of course, things get light again. That's wonderful, too. Um, and this is, a, this is a dark, this seems to be a dark time for our country and our world. A dark time. A dark time. And we wonder, is for our species, which is not doing such a good job of things, um, is it going to get light again? And for other species who are dependent on us, we don't know. We don't know. We don't know. So that's hard for us. That's hard for us. The 10,000 things arise together, and they're arising as they're declining. They flower and return to their root. But regardless of what happens, how much ebb and flow there is, we're rooted in something deep and spacious that brings joy and that uh, is not a thing. <laughs> it's not a thing. <laughs> and, and, and that's what Lao is says to us over and over again. Returning to the root is surrender. And that's our practice in Zen. Even if we don't feel it, even if we think we're returning to cluttered mind, we'll be here together. We're returning to the root. Not stumbling in confusion and sorrow. When you realize you are, you accept what is. In the middle of the pandemic, in the middle of climate change, in the middle of um, racial turmoil, distrust of police, police distrust of 
of other people. It seems like since 2001, I read this recently, in 2001, we've become gradually more tribal every year. So now the divide between the two tribes, however you, however you want to divide up the country, has become huge, a huge gap. How could they, how could they, how could they be anti-vaxxers? How could they not believe in climate change? How could they not see the, the police are prejudiced? And the other side says that about back and forth, back and forth. This tribalism is too bad, too bad. One nation indivisible. Do you remember having to recite that? One nation indivisible. But that's basic Buddhism. Indivisible. Just this tiny, insignificant guy here who's in pain and part of a tribe, however you want to define your own tribe, and yet the whole universe is reflected in me and supporting me. That's the core teaching. So when Fazong, the uh, um, YM teacher, was working with the Empress Wu, who was very despondent about Lots of things. He, he gave her this teaching. And then she wanted a demonstration. Here's the demonstration. I've read this demonstration in a few years. Fatsang placed eight large mirrors at the eight points of the compass. Two more mirrors, one on the ceiling and one on the floor. A candle was suspended from the ceiling in the center of the room. He lit the candle. The empress cried, how marvelous, how beautiful. Fatsang said, see your majesty, this demonstrates the relationship of the one and the many, of each of us and the entire universe. Watch your majesty how each mirror not only reflects the one flame in the center, each mirror also reflects the reflections of the flame in all the other mirrors until an infinite number of flames fills them. All these reflections are mutually identical. In a sense, they're interchangeable. In another sense, each one exists individually. When the master covered one of the infinite number of reflections of the flame and showed how each apparently insignificant <clears throat> speck affects the whole organism of our world. So, just a tiny insignificant speck, and yet. All reality is here, and we could just be with that. We could just be with that. We could just return to the root, right within our pain. There's, we're free from pain. We're just here. We're just here. No stumbling and confusion and sorrow. When you realize who you are, you accept what is. When you realize who you are, you accept what is. Patient. Amused, embracing, patient, patient. My second teacher had the name Dainin Kadagiri. It means great patience, Kadagiri. He didn't like to talk about the name, but he, <laughs> he, he was really patient. And once I spilled soup on him in a formal retreat <laughs> as a servant, and I was really embarrassed. <laughs> Uh, rushed, rushed afterwards to his room. He said, oh, 
no big deal. He did say no big deal, you know, even though he, was, he, he picked up some of our colloquials. No big deal. He said, just make effort. You make good effort. Just make effort. Then I said, well, I know I'm kind of awkward in the Zendo when you ordain me. Maybe I should do some exercises, you know, Tai Chi or something. No, just make effort. <laughs> so just make effort to return to this simple serenity that's right here. Just make effort, but not too much effort. Dada Jane warns a guy, make too much effort. Woo way. Doing non-doing efforts. Because if you make too much, your head gets all big. When you realize who you are, you accept what is, patient, amused, embracing, kind-hearted as a grandmother. No, he was kind-hearted as a grandmother at that, at that, at that moment. <laughs> and I had one of my own grandmothers that I talked about before who was patient, amused, and embracing. I had another grandmother. Luckily, I had two grandmothers um, who were, in a way, I was close to, but my other one was just amused. <laughs> and amused is okay, but for a little child, we want some patience and some embracing, not just amused. And my grandfather, oh, so here we patient, amused, embracing, kind-hearted as a grandmother, dignified as a king. Dignified as a king. And that was one of my grandfathers. One of my grandfathers, who was a retired engineer, sat in his chair in the living room every day, really with a straight back, and didn't just sat kind of like Jeremy sitting right now, only without a mask on. And, and I was afraid to approach him because he looked so dignified. I said to my sister, well, he's kind of scary. She said, no, just go sit in his lap. He's not scary. And a while ago, a couple years ago, people, I talked to, bunch of people who are members of Common Ground Sense Center. And they said, coming over here to Sense Center is hard. It's scary. Everybody just sits straight and looks ahead. Nobody moves. Nobody says anything. And I thought, well, that's, that's a dignity. I didn't say that. That's dignity. So <clears throat> all you have to do is approach someone who's dignified, and if they're sitting still and erect and open, they'll be loving, they'll be generous, they just won't be. You just have to take that little risk. <clears throat> Following the Tao, you accept whatever life brings, and with death comes, you are ready. So I want to spend uh, maybe 15 or 20 minutes just on this one. Following the Tao, you accept whatever life brings, and when death comes, you are ready. So the two pioneers in Taoism are Lao Tzu, who wrote the Tao Te Ching, which we've been, I've been doing, and Chuang Tzu, who came out 100 years or so later, and kind of, uh, what, what can we say, extended Lao Tzu's teaching. Extended. Uh, so when Chuang Tzu was dying, his disciples wanted to give him a lavish funeral. Chuang Tzu said, Oh, I have heaven and earth for my outer and inner coffin, the sun and moon for my pair of jade discs, 
the stars from my pearls, the myriad creatures from my farewell presence. Is anything missing from my funeral paraphernalia? What will you add to these? Master, we're afraid that the crows and the kites will beat you. Above ground, I will be eaten by the crows and the kites. Below ground, I'll be eaten by the ants and the mole crickets. You rob the one of them to give to the other. How come you like them so much better? <laughs> so when death comes, he's showing us how we read it. How we read it. <clears throat> I'm not, uh, there are a lot of things that I'm not very good at. <laughs> um, my posture has never been that good. Uh, but nobody straightens my posture anymore. Ever since uh, I became guiding teacher, I'm <laughs> nobody straightens my posture, but it's never been very good. <clears throat> uh, and I'm not a good scholar at all. And I'm a lousy administrator. I'm really a lousy administrator, poorly organized, forgetful, I'm awkward and ritual. May not seem awkward to some of you, but I have a history of being very awkward and ritual. But the ability that I developed over these years, I guess, if I developed it, is learning how to die. <laughs> Without even trying, I know pretty well how to die. How to die. Just maybe it's hours of meditation practice. I'll just let go and be here and be here and be here. Well, I guess that's a skill. And we'll see if it serves me well when <laughs> at the very time of when I leave my body or if I go, yikes. <laughs> I thought I was good at this. Yikes. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. We don't know. I don't know. So how do we develop the ability to accept whatever life brings? And when death comes, be ready. Be ready. Well, I'm going to suggest, other than meditation, which of course is central, finding a purpose, radically accepting what is, laughing, opening our hearts. So, finding a purpose. So when I was not quite 21, I went through a really hard time. And fortunately and unfortunately, I read all the existentials. I will say that didn't help me. <laughs> I remember very well reading Albert Camus. He opens his book, The Stranger. My mother died today, or maybe it was yesterday. I don't really remember that. And the whole book is about angst and so I became kind of haunted by death and my purpose then a purpose I developed was to use meditation to see if I could tap into some kind of peace that was beyond the, the duality of me and you life of death sky and earth and that became a purpose that, that uh, propelled me for a long, long time. 
And I got married and had another purpose to be there with my wife and then have kids. Those purposes, having a purpose helps us. A lot of people during the pandemic feel like there's no purpose anymore. You can find something that's really deepful, meaningful, meaningful for you, it will help you. You won't need to be haunted by the pandemic, haunted by this, this cultural division that's going on. So then uh, when I was 40, um, as I've said many times, my brother, who was 30, uh, killed himself in a, regional, in a regional treatment center in California in a locked ward. And again, I became haunted by death, by his death. Haunted by someone else's death, you become, it means you're haunted by your own death. You're haunted by death. But I found a purpose, little by little. It took a while. took a while. A lot of sitting, a lot of anguish, a lot of fear. Uh, I was already uh, a psychologist, and I had been working with people with mental illness for some time. So I thought, well, I'm going to try to develop some residences in Minnesota for people who are really in pain so they won't get locked up, sent into hospitals and end up with an awful, a much worse experience that they had than they had before. So I spent years doing that. So that's just me. That's just me. But experiencing life fully means being engaged in things that matter to us. That we most deeply care about. And that reduces and even extinguishes fear of death. That's the first one. The second one, which we talk a lot about, is practice radical acceptance. When I started uh, uh, working, trying to develop crisis residences for people uh, in severe mental health pain, uh, I got nowhere because of the stigma. This is like 25 years maybe 30 years ago. No one, the stigma. No one wanted to talk to me. Nobody wanted to give me money. But I just had to radically accept, accept that and think, I'm going to do this anyway. And I lucked out because the culture began changing. Now Alice wasn't quite so scary anymore. You talk about it. You talk about your own depression. Your, your mother's bipolar. So, but it happened very, very slowly, and it's still, still not gone. But if we want to, if we really care about something deeply, we radically accept the contingencies that are all around. There are always contingencies. We just do it, we just do it, we just do it. Reinhold, Reinhold Niebuhr said in 1932, God grant me the grace to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Many of you are 12-step people, I know. You recite that. I've, I've never been a 12-step person, but in my men's group years ago, we began reciting it. And we did it. And for 
years. I think we forgot. But if you recite it routinely, that's one thing. But can you recite it as if your life depends on it? There are, are some things you can change, there are just some things you can't change. And you just can you just open up those things you can't change, acknowledge them, and work with the things you can. You can do that. You can do that. You have that radical acceptance. It's not stoicism as we know it today. It may be the stoicism of Marcus Aurelius or Epictetus, if I'm pronouncing his name, but it's not what we think of when we think of stoicism today. So anytime you have a harsh impression coming in your mind, can you say, oh, you're an impression. You're not the thing you appear to be. Can you look at it? Can you say, hmm, does this impression have to do with something that's up to me or something that's not up to me? And if it doesn't have anything to do with anything that you can change, can you say it's nothing to me? I could never learn to sit really straight. But finally, I just had to say it's nothing to me. I'm going to come here anyway. Nothing to me. My teacher didn't seem to mind. They supported me just the same. So accepting beyond the ego's habit of dividing the world into for me and against me. So a couple of years ago, I talked about my cousin Mary, who uh, was run over by a bus in Duluth and had to have her leg amputated above the knee. Talked about her lightnings. But she had a near-death experience. She had a near-death experience. And uh, when I went up to visit her, she said, the person I used to be died. That Mary is dead, but that doesn't mean I am. She's been working on not two years, developing a new life. She's gotten a prosthetic leg. She had a lot of problems with it. She's working with it, doing her best. Something she can't change, but there are lots of things she can change. And she's very inspiring to me when I'm with her. <clears throat> and uh, um, I think I, maybe I said this last year, we went in a talk last year. Last year, we went up to see her. We we'll actually go to see her quite a bit. We went to see her last year, almost before the pandemic. So let's try the time. Is that two years ago before the pandemic? <laughs> wow. <laughs> two years ago, we went up to see her. And um, She's, she just gotten her she she just gotten her first prosthetic leg, and uh, so she said she wanted to go and walk in the rose garden in Duluth. And I didn't know Duluth had a rose garden. You know, rose garden here. It's beautiful. I thought Duluth, the rose garden, and the rose garden is right by the leg in Duluth. Those roses are tiny and they look cold, <laughs> <laughs> and the wind is blowing all the time. But we walked through the rose garden. And instead of just dashing through the rose garden the way I do this with this one, with Linda, look at that one, look at that one. We walked really slow because she had her prosthetic leg. Oh, it was wonderfully meditative. 
But there we were. There we were. And she seemed to have a wonderful time. And I said to her afterwards, I didn't know until we've had a rose garden marriage. She said, I didn't either, even though I grew up here. So she didn't know. <laughs> you see different things. You have different experiences. When contingency really gets you. When something really gets you. If you can just be with it. You just radically accept it. So purpose. So meditation. Still talking about dying, guys. I'm going to, I want to spend the rest of the time talking about God dying. Meditation for, for death, for letting go. Meditation. Purpose. Purpose is important. Radical acceptance. <clears throat> Next one is humor. 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 Like love, humor is an antidote to fear. It's an antidote to fear. Can we laugh at what terrifies us? Or in the grip of fear, it loosens if we laugh, if we really laugh. We laugh in life, laugh at death, and in the face of death. And do that. And that's what lots of Chuangzi teaches to do. Especially Chuangzi is always telling stories of that. All Lao did is write the death, write the Dada Chang. Chuangzi is the one who told story upon story, most of which are pretty, pretty funny. So uh, once when I was discouraged in my sitting, because I had been sitting, I think I had just done a week retreat, and it was like on a Monday or Tuesday morning, San Francisco, and, I, and we bowed to my teacher on the way out and went through his office. And I said, can I talk to you for a minute? He said, oh, yes. And I said, oh, <coughs> well, can you give me a little more clear, clearer instruction or advice about how to die to this obsessing, this obsessing, um, complaining little guy in here. And he said, no, have time. Go have to go play tennis with Betty. <laughs> Come watch me play tennis. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know, have time. So. I went out to the tennis court. I told that this story, I think, is in my first book. So you've got, you guys have heard this story a lot of times. <laughs> so I uh, uh, went out to the tennis court, and there he was with a white shirt and a white sailor hat on uh, and a bald head, a white sailor hat, uh, dressed in white. And he'd never played tennis before. <laughs> and Betty was a tennis player. Um, and uh, so I just watched, and I watched as as they hit the ball back and forth, and as he stumbled around, hit it sometimes, laughed, fell down a couple of times, got up, laughed, hit it a few more times, and Betty really enjoyed it. <laughs> she really enjoyed it. <laughs> and uh, they only played for 15 or 20 minutes, but it, it got in my in my first book, you can see why. <laughs> I did my first book, or maybe my second. <clears throat> Laugh, laughter, and radical acceptance. I mean, he was radically accepting. He was a klutz in comparison with her. 
That's right. But still having a good time. Cause us to have a good time. Take it from me. Take it from me. Following the Tao, you accept whatever life brings. And when death comes, you are ready. So purpose, acceptance, humor. And then the last one, heart connection. Heart connection. Very hard for us the last couple of years. But to keep heart connection with people that we want to, other than those people we live with. Friendships, oh, some of them are just wasting away. We're trying to keep them going. How can we keep them going? And we thought we finally had a respite in the summer, and then the Delta virus came along. Oh, we, all human beings need heart connection. We can't die to our worries and our fears and our loneliness without heart connection. So this is this is our kind of our practice now. How to find our country. group of us here today? That's wonderful. A group of you guys online. That's wonderful. But we're many of us are starved just for simple emotional connection with others. Now, some of you are introverts and you don't care. <laughs> <laughs> But if you look by yourself, even if you're an introvert, you probably care. You probably care. It's probably helpful. So I counsel a lot of people uh, at SenseNet. And, and I'm always counseling them to take a risk and reach out to someone. You might get turned down. Just reach out. You're going to get turned down maybe three out of four times. Okay, you keep reaching out. You need our connection. To feel alive, and you feel if you feel alive, then you die to all this crud that just builds up and, and overwhelms you. So hard connection and trying to open up to people in the other tribe. They are weird. Whatever your tribe is, and whatever their tribe is, they're weird. How could they believe such and such? How could they be so prejudiced against such and such? Didn't they take science in school? You know, we're, we're, we're suffering in the same way we are. They're thinking we're, we're, we're too. The more tribal we get, the more hard it is to manifest what Fatsang was trying to show the Empress Wu. So near-death experiences. Mary, my cousin, had a near-death experience. <clears throat> After that, <clears throat> there's a lot of research. Most people have different stances toward death. Here's someone who said, uh, and this is one of dozens I've read over the years, my heart opened as wide as the sky and all my cares fell away. Kenneth Ring, who's written the, two of the more recent books about near-death experiences. I read the early ones, Ralph Moody and people like that. Kenneth Ring says that from his research, if more people had NDEs, near-death experiences, right, <laughs> or could learn about them and absorb their wisdom, the world would be a better place. So 
this practice is ours. It gives us a chance to peek at something beyond the small limitations of our life and experience a, a, a sense of connectedness and even love that is more than understood. So my friend whom I'll call Kay, years ago in uh, San Francisco Zen Center, Kay uh, came from another state and went to San Francisco Zen Center to do a uh, retreat there. She looked across, she told me this afterwards. She said, I looked across the room at Suzuki, my teacher, my first teacher. She said, um, I looked toward him and I looked in his eyes and there was no one there. There was no one there. And then there was no one here either. And there was just, I don't know what it was. It was wonderful. It was like death, but also it was like a spring of love for everyone and everything gushing forth. This is what Fasang is teaching the Empress Wu when he does all these mirrors. In his own way. Empress Wu doesn't want to meditate. Chinese, certainly Chinese dignitary never meditates. So, um, and, and talks I've given before, I talk about Shakespeare as uh, a coward dies a thousand times before his death, but the valiant taste of death but once. So, how can we die to this junk that we carry around? by going right into our fear and disempowering it, then we don't have to die a thousand times before our death. Anytime we're really afraid of something that's really going to get us, can we go into it with, with love and affection and openness and, and no cerebral activity at all? <laughs> Maybe a little bit of cerebral activity. We can do that. We can do that. And when we're ready to die, just once. That's Shakespeare. But then when I talk about this, and I don't know if I do this in one of my books or not, I also reverse it. I say the valiant die a thousand times before their death, but the coward dies before. So we learn how to die to all this, all these fears, one after another, because they're still coming in. You think they don't come in after practicing for 84 years? They still come in. We learn how to breathe and just breathe through them, see that they're just impressions in a movie, die to them. And then uh, when we're ready to die, we just not that much different. That just so I'd like to read again the uh, the entire thing, and I'll see what time is it. What time is it? 10.35. Oh, okay. I'll read the entire thing and uh, see if you have comments or questions about anything outside or anything in the Jing or anything at all. <laughs> the 10,000 things arise together, and their arising is their declining. They flower or can return to their root. 
returning to the root of serenity, not stumbling in confusion and sorrow. When you realize who you are, you accept what is. Patient, amused, and embracing, dignified as a king. Following the Tao, you accept whatever life brings. And when death comes, you are ready.